0: Welcome to the Smart Planning 101 podcast, episode 16.
1: I'm Nicole Whipp, and I'm your host. Welcome back to the Smart Planning 101 podcast and my interview with Audrey Earhart from Elder Council, where we discuss the five things that adult children of aging parents needs to know now. I have a raspy voice to begin with, But please excuse me, it's even worse right this moment because I am suffering terribly from allergies, which are completely age-related because I never had allergies before. And so it's sort of timely for this whole conversation that we're having. But those of you that suffer from allergies along with me know exactly what I'm talking about. So even though I sound like I'm pretty sick, I'm actually not sick. It's just these allergies. Now, if you missed the previous episode where Audrey and I discussed the rising costs of long-term care and why you as an adult child need to be concerned about this, please search for it in iTunes under episode 15 at the Smart Planning 101 podcast or visit smartplanning101.com forward slash 15. Today, though, we're going to move on to the topic of why basic estate planning isn't enough. And this is a very common misconception among seniors, among boomers, and among their adult children, because people really don't understand how much the laws have changed and how much these things really are starting to affect almost every American today. Because to be honest with you, these really weren't issues for very many of us in the past. And so because it's becoming such an issue now, it's really something that you need to understand. So... Let me welcome, once again, Audrey Earhart and part two of my interview with her. Thank you for
2: listening. Moving forward, if you're ready, Nicole, I thought we would go on to number two. We've just recapped our number one issue, which is the cost of long-term care is rising. And now we're going to shift over and start talking about why basic estate planning really isn't enough for our older Americans.
0: Sounds great. Great. So, yes, this is one of my favorite topics. So talk to us. Tell us why basic estate planning is not enough.
2: I, I You know, I think basic estate planning, there was a time when it was sufficient. I think now at this point, elder law issues are so unique and so state specific and so focused on making sure that you get the best care you really need to have the right documents as a client. And if you're the child of an aging parent, you need to make sure your parents have the right documents, which I know that can be a very uncomfortable conversation when you ask mom and dad to see the will or the trust or the power of attorney. But I really would challenge you if you're an adult child listening to this to take that step and to ask your parents, what do they have in front of them? Because you need to make sure they have the protections, all the protections available to them under under your state law. And it may not be something that you can interpret. It may be something you need to take to an attorney, an elder law attorney to interpret. But I think, Nicole, what you, you know, I'm sure you would agree with me. Most people think that they're sufficiently covered because they have a revocable or a living trust and a basic power of attorney. I know that makes both you and I cringe um, when we hear that. But I think most people think that they're covered just by thinking that they have these two documents, which could be 10 to 20 years old.
0: Right. And the laws have significantly changed in the last 10 to 20 years and um, even in the last five years or so i think that you and i can agree there are options available that really aren't weren't available back then so a basic revocable living trust most certainly is not going to be sufficient for most of our clients and uh, the general kind of power of attorney that we see i know that almost every elder law attorney that i talk to it is a pet peeve of theirs that when clients believe oh i have this power of attorney i'm all set you aren't all set because the power of attorney that you probably have was written either by an estate planning attorney who doesn't deal with elder law issues, or you might have gotten it online or something. And it probably actually prohibits the type of planning that we do
2: exactly I think for attorneys who are untrained in the area of elder law they're not they're, they're not recognizing the powers that we need and when we say powers that means the control that you're giving a decision-maker for you so if you are the maker of the power of attorney uh, you're the creator you are going to be naming an agent um, someone to be coming forward to make your decisions at a time when you cannot and I will put a caveat there that there are powers of attorney that are active the minute that you sign them so you need to also be aware of when your power of attorney when you the client when your power of attorney becomes effective when it takes action. But it's very important that you think through the elder law issues, and if you're not sure that your power of attorney is giving your decision maker, in the event that you can't make those decisions, specific authority to make elder law-focused decisions, getting qualified for Medicaid or qualified for VA pension, or even doing basic things like filling out a healthcare document that goes with the Medicaid application, all these pieces need to be in your power of attorney. And you need to have a trust that's specifically designed to protect you from the long-term care costs that you could be facing down the road. And I'm not saying that your existing documents can't be used, but you may need an update, you may need an elder law enhancement, or you may need to make one or two more documents to make sure you're fully protected. It was unusual for a client in my firm to walk out of my office having any less than eight documents. And so some of you may be sitting there in the audience going, well, I got two from my attorney. I gave usually on average a number, uh, eight documents, and then I would have a follow up letter every quarter saying, This is what's changed, this is what stayed the same, you need to come in and see me. So, if you're not in that level of communication with your attorney, especially if it's not an elder law attorney, your attorney's not an elder law attorney, I would encourage you to immediately go out and meet an elder law attorney and make sure your documents are up to date um, with what they need to be in your state. Because, you know, as we're going through that and the issues that can come up, there are issues that come up. Such as gifting issues um, and having family caregivers, and these are things that, as you get older or you're unable to make decisions, you may want to be engaging in later on. But your power of attorney may directly prohibit you from taking these actions that are perfectly normal in an elder law course of activity. I know a number of my clients wanted their children to be able to take care of them in the event that they had a healthcare crisis resulting in long-term care in the home, but they had powers of attorney that were drafted you know 10 to 15 to 20 years ago even ones that were drafted yesterday um that didn't actually have that contemplated and instead it was saw it was seen that if a client, if a client paid money to a child, but the child authorized it, that that was actually a bad action. And Nicole, I'm sure you've encountered this as well. We have to make sure that we consider all these scenarios where it might be perfectly normal for your child to move into your home, start taking care of you, and we don't want that level of comfort, that decision that you've been, that you've made previously, to be thwarted by the fact that you have an out of date or inaccurate, improperly drafted document. <laughs>
0: Yes. And so the problem, of course, with it is that when you're looking at your power of attorney, and and even some of these issues that Audrey has discussed, you might say to yourself, oh, well, mine appears to be sufficient, because I it says I can do this, and it says you can do that, and it says you can do this, and it says you can do that. But what we really find... A lot is that it says you can do all these things and it appears to be almost infinite. And then there's one paragraph that says, but you can't do this. And it gives like five things. And two out of those five things are the things that we as elder law attorneys need to be able to do to effectuate a good asset protection plan for you in the event that you need long-term care. And um We won't be able to do it without going to court and getting a court order allowing it, at least in my state. So that's sort of one of those things that you might not realize that your power of attorney prohibits this if you don't have somebody that understands it looking at it.
2: Exactly, and I, I smiled when you said, you know, it appears to look right. I, I often laugh at myself, Nicole. I mean, I have an attorney because there are things that we feel comfortable with having seen them over and over and feeling comfortable with our documents and, you know, having this feeling that they're, you know, they're sound, that we don't need to make any changes. But the truth of the matter is the law is a living, breathing entity. Things change every every, legisl- edu- every legislative session as the statutes change. So you need to be in contact with your elder law attorney, and that elder law attorney should be keeping you up updated on law changes, what's going on, because there will be times through no fault of yours or no fault of your attorneys, but the laws will change and it will require updates to keep you safe because the purpose of these documents, your irrevocable trust, your living trust, your powers of attorney for health and finance, the purpose is to maintain your autonomy as long as possible. When I would talk to my clients, I always used the ship captain analogy, that really I am the navigator of the ship. I'm the person making the plans, but my client is the captain. Captain. And my team of employees and your children client are the crew, but we are on this boat together. And while we're making the best plan possible, we're also making this plan so that you can chart the course. The client can choose the navigational course from the options that I would provide as the attorney and decide what we wanted to do in the event of long-term care issues, in the event of incapacity, and in the event of death. But with those being said, those are only as good, those choices are only as good as the documents that support them. And unfortunately, or fortunately, in, in the case of law, you have to have the most up to date documents possible giving you elder law specific powers that protect older Americans as you age in your state.
0: So that makes me want to, since this topic right now that we're on is basic estate planning is not enough. Let's just really quickly talk about why a revocable living trust isn't going to cut it.
2: Mm, that's a good point. A revocable living trust is is an interesting document, but it is mainly a tool for, in my experience, it is mainly a tool for probate avoidance. Uh, When we pass away, we do not want our property to end up going through the probate court. It's expensive. It's timely. It's public. And a trust document, by retitling your assets into a living trust, you are able to transfer ownership without that court process in most circumstances. And with that being said, though, with a living trust, most of our clients, most of our creators of the trust, they retain control. They are the decision maker on the trust, the trustee. They decide how things should be managed until a point where they can't make decisions anymore or they pass away the key there though Nicole is they maintain control of the assets there's no transfer of those assets to another person so if they're in control of those assets what that means is that down the line um, they will still be seen to be in control of those assets should they apply for a benefits qualification program such as VA pension or Medicaid. So that means that you haven't really protected anything. You've protected it from one process, the probate process, but you haven't protected it from the long-term care issues because that could arise because you're still in control of all of your net worth. So there are steps we can take as elder law attorneys to move your assets to Nicole, you hit them the nail on the head, structure that them is why our our listeners need that to you will no longer own them them elder law. And there are it's many ways, ways that you can to do, to do that, but a living trust is not that option for elder law planning. Well,
0: I'd like to just take that a little step further sure. and um, say that it's not just actually about control because. There are ways to retain control of the assets, but the other key component of that is access. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a trust, the goal, um, you know, the goal of a planning, at least for my office, and I'm sure anybody else that's doing planning is, you know, we're looking at three components, we're looking at protection, access and control. But unfortunately, there's no legal product that can give us all three things in their entirety simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get you can get two out of the three, possibly if you have a well drafted document, but you can't get all three simultaneously. And so when you have a hundred percent control, a hundred percent access, you will not have a hundred percent protection. And that's the problem with the revocable living trust is that a revocable living trust isn't going to give you asset protection during your life. Well, and then. Can we talk a little bit, you and I talked a little bit about the fruit bowl or the little red wagon analogy. Just um, can we talk about that a little bit, just so that people understand about really how revocable trusts work?
2: Sure. Um, I think the fruit bowl analogy that you were sharing with me is is excellent. And the little red wagon, that simply because you are titling an asset into a trust doesn't mean that it changes what it is. It changes the title um, but I, I would also use myself, Nicole, just because I got married and that took my husband's last name in addition to my own last name. That doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change my character or the way that I'm made up. With that being said, the same thing with the fruit bowl and, and, and with the red wagon analogy. Just because we put an apple into the fruit bowl, we can still see it. We can still touch it. We can still move it. Um, we can still give it away if we want. Um, so that's what I would say that I think clients are often scared of taking an asset and putting it into a trust because they think something about the... Material makeup of that item will change or they'll face some sort of penalty or attacks or something like that. And with a living trust, that's simply not the case.
0: Right. It's an apple outside of the bowl. It's an apple inside of the bowl. The trust is the bowl. The apple is like your checking account or your mutual funds or your stocks. If it's a stock outside of the trust, it's a stock inside of the trust. It just like if it's an apple outside of the bowl, it's an apple inside of the bowl. That's that's sort of what I always like to explain to clients, because I really have noticed that people are afraid of trust because they think that they think that it's going to make their assets different or it's going to change the way that they deal with their assets. But that's Mm -hmm. really not the case.
2: It, it really isn't, and I think there is a heavy heaviness out there that the minute you put something into a trust, um, everything changes. And and in the case of a revocable trust, it doesn't. It's just a different location um, that will then pass your assets outside of the probate process in most situations at death.
0: And then, Audrey, the last thing I want to talk about with this basic estate planning is not enough topic is your thoughts on, because one of the things, and in fact, I just had people in my office this morning that said this to me. Well, when my mom passed away, we just, you know, everybody just disseminated everything and it was no problem. And we didn't go to probate and there were no issues. So why do I even care about this? Like it was fine for my
2: mom. (laughs) No, exactly. I, I had that too. I also would have the clients who would come in and say, so on TV um, when I pass away you're going to bring in all of my family and everyone's going to sit around and you're going to tell my son Johnny who just didn't behave at all you're going to tell him he gets nothing right <laughs> and everyone's going to look at him and so you know there's all these myths that surround the the processes of, of the probate or the or the trust administration process but really um, that's not what happens you know in very few situations do we actually have a formal will reading or a formal trust reading and very few situations are you actually able to handle things on your own, nor should you. Um, that's something that I would caution any of the children listening today, any of the any of our clients who are listening who may be serving as a personal representative, an executor executrix, or as a trustee. You should not be acting alone. You should be having an elder law attorney advising you. It doesn't have to be the same attorney who drafted the document, but you need to have someone advising you because especially in the case of trust administrations, the administration process after the owner of the trust has passed away, there are very state-specific and national laws governing that interaction of what you have to do with specific time frames of 30 days or 60 days notice that have to be given to included um, parties. There are a lot of steps you need to take that you should not be doing on your own or you could incur financial, personal liability against yourself.
0: Right. And then also um, there is that issue of like just because your mom passed without you having to go to probate or there not being any issues, the One of the things I think that people need to realize is that times have really changed and we don't just die anymore. Um, our parents are, you know, some of the people that are more elderly um, that had elderly parents, maybe five, 10 years ago, and they passed away and it happened very quickly and things like that. We aren't experiencing that now because of modern medicine. We're lingering and and lingering with disabilities longer. And so... Everything is fine if everything works perfectly and you just die, <laughs> which I hate saying that and it sounds really obnoxious but you know, that's almost what we all wish for ourselves and we wish for those that we love that dis- that they do just die because you you know, living with disabilities and things like that is not appealing to most people, but unfortunately modern medicine being what it is that is reality. And so that is one of the reasons why basic estate planning isn't enough because basic estate planning is really about just what happens if you just die.
2: Exactly. And instead, you need those powers of attorney and those trust documents that are going to give permission to the people that you trust, the people that you choose to make those decisions for you during periods of incapacity. Um, And I've seen it in both ways, periods of incapacity where the decision maker, my client would have wanted to make those decisions, but because of some sort of illness or some sort of long-term condition, wasn't able to make them. But I've also seen them in the situation where my clients have grown tired after years. My clients would grow tired and not want to manage things and would want to be able to put their hands in a The the decisions in the hands of a trusted family member, so you need to make sure you have the documents to support that.
0: Great, thank you so much. That's a great overview of that topic.
2: So I think now, Nicole, we're gonna leave our first and second topics where the cost of long-term care is rising and the basic estate planning isn't enough today for our older Americans and turn to our third topic, which is long-term care options that are available.
1: This concludes part 2 of my interview with Audrey about the five things that adult children of aging parents needs to know now. To read the show notes on this episode, please visit smartplanning101.com/16. In part 3, Audrey and I will be exploring the different options that there are available for long-term care. This is super important because one of the things that really does tend to lessen the amount of stress that families feel at times when long-term care becomes necessary is being prepared by knowing what the options are. And so this is just meant to show you or to demonstrate what some of the options are so that you can start exploring them and learning what you may want for yourself and for the people that you care about. Thanks for listening.
2: Now that you're starting to get the knowledge you need to make better planning decisions, don't let your journey stop there. Nicole's incredible guide, five tools you need to be truly in control of your future includes smart planning options and worksheets you can gain access to right now. And the best part is you can download it for free by going to smartplanning101.com tools right now. Time is flying by, so don't wait another day to download this must have guide And we'll see you next time on the Smart Planning 101 podcast. The information contained within this podcast does not constitute legal or financial advice. It's for general informational purposes only. For advice specific to your situation, consult with your legal or financial professional.